We're in the middle of our Holy Spirit series. We're in, we're in the middle of our, our, our last phase, which is, which is really about the spirit and the witness of the gospel to the lost. And this man right here is one of the greatest gifts from my perspective. You, you guys uh, may not know Bob well, but from my perspective, he's one of the greatest gifts this church has been given in, in human form towards evangelism. Um, Did my wife start that clapping? Oops. For years, Bob has been going out uh, on Tuesdays and some other nights, sometimes when other people can't make it on Tuesdays like me. And um, not that I've gone out with him a ton of times, but but just sharing the gospel with the lost in Frederick and, and doing it in such a way that he really adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, in, a, in a way that... Um, you know, in a way that's befitting the, the glorious gospel. And so before we move into a message this morning, I just wanted to talk with Bob in front of you guys about what he does and why he does it, because I, I believe that in it, he's kind of inculcating the value we're going to be talking about today. And, um, and he, you know, and other guys in this church have rallied around him, like Steve Burgoon and David Adams and, and, and who, who else would be some of the, some of the regular guys who... I thought about naming people, but there's so many. I, 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 if I start naming them, then we'll think, well, what about that guy? What about me? You know? But Steve... Out, yeah, I mean, Steve, uh, David Adams, uh, um, uh, Ben Bob. Ben Bob. Um, Dewey. Well, actually, I call him Dewey, but his name is Jeremy Tucker. Yeah. Uh, who has... Actually, who is... Can you raise your hand if you've come out at least one time? Yeah. Wow, look around. So, you're in good company. So, all right, Bob. So, let's talk a little bit about what you do and why you do it, okay? Can we, can we, can we get into this? Yeah. You ready to go? I am. And full disclosure, I asked him to give me the questions first so I could give you reasoned answers and not just off the top of my head because I didn't think that would serve you. Oh, this is going to look really organic. <laughs> I'll ask you a question. You'll look at your phone and... That... Yeah, that's about right. All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, um, so we go, like I said, we go out Tuesday nights. Wait, I didn't ask you anything. You, you just, you're reading your questions. Don't I have to ask you? Isn't that? Okay, isn't yeah. what a, okay, go ahead. Say, Bob. Yes, Albert. I, I was just wondering, <laughs> tell me a little bit about your evangelistic outreach. How often do you do this? I was wondering, where do you go? And say, how do you approach people? Well, I haven't really thought about that. Let me see. <laughs> Tuesday nights at 6.30 at the Frederick Library. <laughs> Is that natural enough? We try to go out every Tuesday night. We go to downtown Frederick in the, at the library. We meet upstairs, and we pray, we talk, kind of like what we're going to do, and, and we hit the streets. And it's different every time. We have people, uh, mostly from our church, but some people from other churches who come. And, and when they first come... They don't really know what to expect. And so they think, oh, this is what it's like every week. And then they come a second week and it's like, that's not at all what we did last week. So it's, it's this very dynamic, very ever-changing. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, did you have another question? How do you we... approach people? Oh, how do I approach people? How did I know you had another question, Kevin? Well, uh, yeah, just, I mean, what do you do? You got these <laughs> tracks, you got this gospel, and you got a bunch of strangers. I mean, that <laughs> that scares the living daylights out of me to think about. And, and I've been with you, and I just... Well, you just talk a little bit. How do you approach people? What do you do? Well, if Chris Tucker will stop calling me, I can tell you. <laughs> there we it is. Okay. Thanks, Chris, wherever you are. I mean, what is this? <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to, because I'm purely taking this off the top of my head, I'm going to just recite to you something I've memorized. 
Charles Spurgeon was a, a, a preacher in England in the mid to late 1800s, and he has some quotes that I really like. So for the for the and so first I say for the timid, for the people who aren't really you know where we are yet, and I, I don't mean that like in an arrogant way, but you know we've been doing this a while, and you know uh, they just come and they watch or they hand out a tract. And Spurgeon says about tracts, tracts are adapted to those persons who have but little power and little ability, but nevertheless want to do something for Christ. They have not the tongue of the eloquent, but they may have the hand of the diligent. They cannot stand and preach, but they can stand and distribute here and there these silent preachers. They may buy their thousand tracts, and these they can distribute broadcast. And then he has another quote, When preaching and private talk are not available... You need to have a tract ready. Get good striking tracts or none at all. But a touching gospel tract may be the seed of eternal life. Therefore, do not go out without your tracts. Uh, also, let each, of us, each one of us, if we have done nothing for Christ, begin to do something now. The distribution of tracts is the first thing. And if you think about it, tracts can share the gospel. And tracts are, some people don't even know what it means. Tracts sounds like a train track or something. (laughs) Well, there's a track and there's a tract. A tract is a... a, a, Smaller than that, right, usually. You just happen to have one? Yeah, just by chance. What are the odds of that? So um, a tract is a little, usually it's a piece of paper. It could be a digital tract. You can send an email or a text to somebody. But it's basically just a little piece of paper, usually, that has the gospel on it. And if you don't really know how to share the gospel, this is a really good one to learn the gospel. It can be like a, you could do a little mini class. Um, when you are on the street, it's, boy, you just don't know who you're going to talk to. I mean, sometimes you get uh, 30 seconds, three minutes. Sometimes you get 90 minutes. I mean, we wouldn't usually have that. Turning into a robot. <laughs> I like that. I just want to be bionic. It happens to a lot of people. I <laughs> Um, yeah, so you just never know. And so if, if, you, if you start in the natural, swing to the spiritual, you know, oh, cute dog, cute, cute baby or whatever, and then, you talk, then you turn the conversation to, to, um, to God. If they're interested and, and they have the time, you can go through this whole thing. If they don't, then you can just have them walk away with something. Oh, I've just dropped things. I need a third hand. Yeah, so, like, sometimes I'll walk up to somebody, and uh, especially kids like these, you can say, okay, which one is bigger? Can you see that from here? Which one is bigger? Yeah. Okay, now, now which one's bigger? Yeah. Well, they're actually the same size. And then you hand them the tract, and they're all like, well, yeah, and they kind of blows their mind, you know. And that's, that's one good one. Another one. All right, wait a second. Wait a second. What? I want to rein you in a little bit. Okay. Because of time. Because, you know, we, we could go through each of these tracks and talk about their qualities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to, I want to okay. having told folks what tracks are, you know, at least briefly, I want to, not everybody is, is necessarily going to go out and do street evangelism the way you do it. Some people are going to be called to build relationships at work in different ways. But the thing that, that is most provoking about you to me uh, is is what is in the engine room of the guy who goes up to a complete stranger and li- and I've watched you do this and just says hey hey we're just on the streets tonight asking people where they're going to go when they die 
Oh, interesting. So where do you think you're going to go when you die? I mean, just that guy who does that, there is something inside the engine room of your heart that gets you out saying those things. And it's amazing to watch the conversations happen. So, so I just want to ask you, I know this might sound duh, but this is the, to me, this is so important. Why do you do this? What motivates you to do this? How do you overcome that fear? Yeah. Um, I'm going to read another quote, and then I'll, then I'll answer that. Um, it is, again, Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap, into, leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and not... Uh, uh, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. So, um, everywhere you go, there are people who will live forever. Every person you look at, every set of eyes that you look at, uh, they're going to live forever. And and so, where are they going to live? Now, Scripture teaches us that, you know, this is hard to say and hard to want to believe is true, but, you know, the the um, most people go to hell. And, um, you know, the, the, the way is broad, you know, the, way is the, narrow, gate, you know, the narrow path, the, the broad path. That most people go to hell. And it's hard to look at somebody and say, I got mine, you get yours, you know. Um, you're going you're gonna to go to hell not because, um, and I'm going to heaven, not because I'm good, but because I'm forgiven. It, it, so that's just really hard for me to, to walk around and just see people the majority of whom will be paying for their sins forever. Another thing, another thing uh, is um, your quality of life can really go up. Now, it'll go down in, in, with Marshall's friends <laughs> in some countries um, for a short time. You mean persecution? Persecution, yeah. So um, one thing we try not to say is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Because to some people that means, oh, great, I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to be out of debt. No one's going to hate me. You know, no. In some countries, they're going to kill you. Um, in our country, however, you may lose some friends. You may alienate some family members. But that's generally all. But in general, you know, there are hurting people, trapped people, drugs, alcohol, loneliness. Um, when you give your life over to Christ, your kingdom, the kingdom for you begins at that point. Uh, one last question. How has God blessed you in your relationship with him as you've done this? Um, let me get to that question. Oh, here we go. Now that I think about it. Um, yeah, my faith in his eternal plan gets deeper because it's always on my mind. Uh, there's some verse that I'm terrible at memorizing verbatim, but I get the concepts. You know, where your heart is, your treasure is also, right? So... Or where's your treasure? Your heart is also. But anyway, the more time you spend meditating on God and His plan and His beauty and His amaz- amazing forgiveness, um, the more the more you love it. The more it becomes part of you. Um, also, my love for the unlovely, and I use that in quotes because who's not unlovely? <laughs> who's not? Who's lovely? Uh, you know, we're all sinners. But you know, people that don't. There are people who don't want to make eye contact with with the homeless. You know, they just kind of like look away or whatever. Um, we actively seek the homeless. We talk to them. They have a lot of time on their hands. And, um, and so they'll, they'll stop and they'll talk to us. And, and we can share God's love that way. Most people won't stop 
and talk to them unless they're also homeless. And the homeless community is sort of like it drags itself down. Someone tries to get out and someone pulls them back down. My desire also for the things of the world lesson is I see how little homeless people need. It's really amazing how little people need. They walk around on the street with a, a rather medium to small backpack, and that's everything they own. Um, so, you know, we've been trying to get rid of some of our stuff, and, you know, that, that's just kind of what uh, makes, makes, me, makes me think how grateful I am. Yeah. Well, Bob, you, you know, I know you're a sinner and you're not perfect, but you live as a man in whom heaven and hell are present before your eyes, it seems like, more than me. And and what you do uh, for both the lost and as an example to this church and, and with your cohorts like Steve and Dave and Ben Bob, uh, and you, you not only preach the gospel, but you do try to adorn it. I, you know, I've seen, I've heard about you guys making foods and, and cold packages, you know, uh, blankets. Um, you, you're not just um, saying, God bless you and go on your way. You're trying to bring the, the salvation that Jesus gives, but you're also trying to show practical love. And I, I, I just, if, if you guys get a chance to go out with Bob on Tuesdays, and actually, if you'd be interested in, in going out with Bob, uh, just email me or email Becca. Email Becca Kless at the church, and she'll gather your info. Bob is is going to, if we get enough folks, he's going to put together uh, a training class soon and um, and potentially an apologetic uh, little coursework to try to strengthen that aspect of our of our common witness together as a church. Um, but Lord, I, I just well, Lord, I just thank you for Bob. I thank you for what you're building in him, what you've built through him and through his friends and uh, in this church. And, and may the Lord continue to multiply your efforts and, and grow our interest in partnering alongside with you, your friends with Marshall and Tammy and what they're doing, and others that I know I'm not mentioning here. Um, so, Bob, thank you so much for being a, a, an example to us and a witness to the lost. Can I read two sentences? Yes, you can read two sentences. Again, uh, Spurgeon. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Um, Also, God, this is a prayer. God, save us from living in comfort while sinners are sinking into hell. That's a tough one. They're both tough ones. Um, And we're we're called to eagerly desire all the gifts. And uh, and there's a debate whether evangelism is a a, a gift or just obedience. But we can all open our mouths, right? If you don't know how, please come out and eat Tuesday. Call first because every once in a while the weather gets, gets crazy. But, yeah, um, you do a little. T- you do a tiny little prep every time I've gone out with you in a little library room. You just, if anyone's new, you'll sit there and gently walk them through what's going to happen. You let them watch you, and yeah. so it's it's a great. There's a lot of ramps to help you know to get on board with with you. You're you're super kind and gentle to the newbies and um, ready to hit the road with the veterans. So anyway, um, and thank you for giving me the taller stool. Hey. It was completely unintentional. So it was the Lord's sovereignty. Thank you, buddy. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to do our best with the next uh, 25 minutes. And uh, we might have a one-part instead of a two-part message this morning, but I don't think we can... We probably, in this season of our life as a church, spend too, we, don't, we probably can't overspend time talking about this aspect of our mission together. It's probably good that we, we marinated in it, uh, so I don't mind extending things. But would you guys, um, would you all please just pray with me as we get into God's Word, uh, at least for a bit this morning.
Lord, what serious things. What incomprehensible truths you have let us in on when it comes to eternity and heaven and hell and the destiny of all people. Would you bless our hearts this morning to become more sensitive to that? Would you open up pathways through your word, even through what Bob may have just shared, that for some of us in this room will lead to a lifetime of growth and calling out to those going to hell, stop and turn. Would you bring fruit for the lost out of our lives and out of our time this morning beholding your word? Would you clean and strengthen and encourage us Would you help our minds to be set on eternal realities and sobered? And as sons and daughters of the king, would you help us to be ennobled and encouraged and strengthened with the beauty and the dignity of this great mission you've given us and this great gospel you have put in our hands and our hearts to share? Help us, Lord, to treasure this. Oh, Lord, help, 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 help. Unnumb us. Cleanse us from being desensitized to what Bob just talked about and lost in the distractions that are so myriad in this world and trivial compared to what's at stake. And use the words I'll preach this morning to that end as well. In Jesus' name, we ask in his glorious holy name we pray. Amen. Matthew, are you out here somewhere, Matthew McCann? All right, buddy, trust in you to follow if we have time with with what's in your heart to follow. Okay. Um, So last week we asked this question, what were the greater works that Jesus promised that his people would do? And we we were looking at John 14. We were looking at. Oh, look, look at that. That's amazing. Can we go to the next slide? Okay. so if you guys take a look at uh, verse 11 there. We were in John 14. We looked at verse 11. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And that's the verse we've, that, that 12, verse 12 is really what we were, we're, we're really uh, hit staying on and really trying to unpack the consequences that, that are involved in that. And we ask this question, what, what are these greater works that Jesus promised that his people would do? And in my message last week, I tried to make the argument that the greater works that Jesus referred to is the conversion of souls. You see, saving souls from eternal damnation, saving them for eternal life was what everything Jesus did for humanity before the cross and what he's doing now at the Father's right hand is for every miracle, every healing, Every deliverance on earth was designed to point people towards him, not simply as the savior from earthly calamity, but from eternal calamity that awaits all mankind at the judgment seat of God Almighty. And today we're going to talk about man's part and the Holy Spirit's part in that greater work so that we might both, one, take our part more seriously as we look at our part, and two, bear the burden of that part more lightly 
knowing that the Spirit is at work in the most critical way. And we'll see how far we get. I've, I've a, I think there's a chance we're only going to get this morning to look at our part more seriously. And Lord willing, next week we'll end up talking more about the Spirit's work. But it's coming. So let's start with our part. What, what's our part in this greater work that Jesus wants us to do? He who believes in me, greater works than these, he will do. He will do them. The person, the believer, will do greater works than Jesus Christ while he was on earth. Isn't that an arrogant way to talk about converting souls? That we do it? But that's what Jesus says. He says, he will do them. Listen to what Paul says about this. For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law, that not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. How could Paul talk like this? I might save some. I'm here to save you, Ephesians, Macedonians. Paul could talk about this because he knew that in a very real sense, Without disparaging the glory of God, the mission to save souls from eternal damnation had been handed to people. It has been handed to people through the commission from Jesus Christ himself to preach the gospel. You see, God has decreed, it was God's sovereign choice that this message of Jesus, the actual words of the message of the gospel, this actual story about Jesus Christ would be the instruments, it would be the instrument by which people are saved. And he entrusted this message to his people. He handed that message to the apostles and to the church to proclaim that message so that souls might be saved from hell. That's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. That's how you and I are in this church today. Somebody who was in the church proclaimed, most likely, proclaimed this message to you. Most of us did not receive it through a vision. Most of us received it from a a sinful, fallible, weak, redeemed human being. Someone has famously said, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. It's been attributed to Francis of Assisi. Francis did not say it. He would clock the person who said he said it in the nose. Francis was apparently quite a preacher. But whoever did say it could not have been more wrong. The gospel, the power to save, is a message of words. And strange as it might seem to us, God has chosen to use this medium of actual words to be the vehicle by which he saves humans from eternal damnation in hell for their sins and bring them forgiveness of eternal life. Paul says in Romans 1 about the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, this message, the good news, it is the power of salvation 
1 Corinthians 8, 118. For the word of the cross is foolishness. The word, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In both those verses, Paul is saying these words are the power of salvation. Paul seemed to believe that unless these words about Jesus, his death and resurrection for our sins, his exaltation as Lord and Savior, unless these words were were presented to condemn men and women, they would remain condemned. And in Paul's estimation, all before Christ without Christ stand condemned. In one of the most powerful and dramatic passages of Scripture, Paul proclaims the gospel and then explains its indispensable, irreplaceable, critical, can't-have-it-without-it role in salvation. Listen to what Paul says. He'll, He'll confess the gospel and then he'll cry out for its relevance. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. Now listen to how Paul speaks of its absolute essential Critical character. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul's implicit argument here, don't miss this, is that salvation only comes through faith in the good news of Jesus. He presents no other option but that it is preached and believed to salvation. He says, how are people going to get saved? How are people going to get saved from damnation? How are they going to believe and be saved? He doesn't list a whole bunch of alternative ways to get to God. He doesn't say, I don't mean this pejoratively, he doesn't say, Therapeutic healing. He doesn't say wake up to your to your inner child. He doesn't say through Islam they'll still get to Jesus. He doesn't say through kindness and mercy. He doesn't say through being a person made in the image of God that God just won't turn away from. No, he says this is the way to be saved from the wrath of God upon all people. The message of the gospel. When this message is believed, that's when people get saved. That's Paul's logic here. It's the hardest truth there is in the universe. Folks, the Bible doesn't preach many ways to God. It preaches one way. The Bible doesn't preach we're okay people. It preaches we're all under the rule of the evil one. That we're all under the wrath of God. That's all I know the Bible says. And Paul staked his life, literally, his death on that truth. How are they going to hear unless, unless someone goes? Well, God's anointed me, Paul said, so I'm going. Does that seem crazy to you? I mean, it's, it does seem unsettling to me. I, I want a whole bunch of different ways. But 
God is not like you and I. He isn't like you and I. We don't get to choose. And he's not asking for our permission. God sees the gospel method as a means of his glory not being pinned on human wisdom. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 1, where is the wise man? In other words, what wise man would ever conceive of this method to save? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God knows it sounds like foolishness to this world. Foolishness. But he will humble man by using his means and his ways for his glory to save. It's not up to us. But he has given this to us. And that's what our part is about. He has given us this message of Jesus, these words that bring life. He has called us to speak it. Either ourselves or, or through how we support other folks, like Marshall and Tammy. He doesn't want us uh, outsourcing it, though. And we'll, we'll hear about that in a little bit. Jesus wants the gospel to get to our world so that he can save our world through it. That's his heart for all people. God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is his heart. We all love that. We all agree with that. Oh, I'm so glad that God wants none to perish. That he's that kind of God. But what do we do when God says, and I'm giving it to you to get it out there? I'm not going to bypass using people. I'm I'm not going to bypass dignifying and giving critical meaning to your life by giving the gospel to you to proclaim, church. He wants it getting to your workmates. He wants it getting to your neighbors. He wants it getting to your family members, to your parents, to your brothers and sisters and children, to waiters and waitresses we meet, to people who cut hair and folks we sell insurance to. That's our part. Get this message out, whether we go to Haiti with Arun or we go to Gaithersburg with Marshall or we speak to our friends and neighbors and moms and dads. God calls us, God calls us all to be ready. He calls us all to be ready to speak the words of this message so that he might save souls through them. Listen, I'm not telling everybody in here they all have to go out with Marshall and, and they have to go out with Bob. I'm not telling Marshall he has to go out with Bob on Tuesday night. Marshall, you don't have to do that. I, <clears throat> I, but we're all called to be ready. We're all called to know this message. And, and you know, just, just if, if the spirit of the Lord lives in us, that's the spirit of the one who came to seek and save the lost. If he is strong enough, if, if he is living in us in, in a strong, exuberant, growing way, how is that not going to come out of us? If, if that's his whole mission on earth when he was here, if he's living inside us in a powerful way, that's got to come out. Charles Spurgeon said something like, if you don't care that no one is going to heaven, you're not going there either. We get numb, we get dulled, so we want to qualify that. But, but as a life principle, I think that's pretty spot on. So what's the Spirit's part here? 
Let's go back to our central verses. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. The greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. What does it mean? Because I'm going to the Father. I mean, Jesus is saying that we'll do greater works because he goes to the Father. It has something to do with this going to the Father. That's how we end up doing these greater works. Because he's going to the Father, you'll do the greater works. What's it mean that he's going to the Father? What's that got to do with us doing these greater works? Well, in John 16, here's what Jesus says about going to the Father. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. We did a message on this. You can go back to our John series to find it. But briefly, Jesus is telling these disciples that his going to the Father, his ascending to the Father's right hand, will trigger, so to speak, the greatest flood of salvation the world has ever seen. And that he will do this through the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' death will, in effect, purchase humanity's right to receive the Holy Spirit. And and the Spirit will descend, though, on humanity, not on everybody and universally in some unqualified way, but He will descend on humanity as the one who communicates, first and foremost, the gospel of Jesus Christ to dead hearts. And that gospel... Proclaimed to dead's hearts. Guess who it comes through? It comes through the church. It comes through people. And the Holy Spirit gets in that message, gets in those words, gets into the hearts of those who hear, and he does what our words could never do. He resurrects dead spirits, dead souls through that message and gives them new life. Without the Spirit, our gospel proclamation is is boring or offensive gibberish without the holy spirit our gospel proclamation is boring offensive and gibberish that's why jesus says in john 3 unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom that's which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit we bring the words of the saving message of jesus we bring those words and the spirit brings life through those words He doesn't bypass us. I mean, he can, and maybe in remote places and dreams and visions we hear about, but but I don't believe that's his normative plan to just bypass people. No, he's given the message to the church, and when the message proclaims, is proclaimed by the church, then the Spirit brings life through that message. Jesus Christ spent three years preaching and healing and doing miraculous signs on earth. But there is not much, if any, evidence of mass conversion. In fact, if you look at the trajectory of the, of the gospel narratives in Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, you see this evidence of there's this flowering crowd that over time whittles down more and more to the point where even his closest disciples at the end desert him in his final hours. But do you know what happens a few days after it's known that Jesus was crucified by the authorities horribly? Forty days later, he's ascended to heaven. Do you know what happens? After three years of all that desert ministry of Jesus on that hard, rocky soil, 
of Judea and Palestine. The Spirit descends on the disciples with great signs and fiery tongues and wind. And and Peter, Peter has turned from a Christ denier to a proclaimer of the gospel on that famous day. And he begins preaching to this huge crowd that's gathered, wondering what is going on with all these signs. And Peter says to him, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend in the heavens, but he himself says, speaking of David, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, we have a slide of this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? These people are experiencing that conviction Jesus promised. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Three years of Jesus on earth, little evidence of true faith in any kind of mass way. Peter proclaims Jesus after the Spirit descends. In one day, 3,000 souls are converted and baptized in one day. Greater works than Jesus, the Lord said. Through Jesus, only by Jesus. But he meant what he said. Peter, you're going to do greater works than me because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send the Spirit. My preaching that's fallen on so many deaf ears, the Spirit's going to break those ears open, break those hearts open. My Spirit is going to make them hear and grasp and turn to me. And when I go up to the Father, I'm going to send Him. That's the age we're in right now, Lord. Brothers and sisters, Lord, that's the age we're in right now. I need to tell myself. Now, if we watch the life of Peter and the life of the church After Pentecost, we don't see continual unbroken perfection. Peter messes up. The church, Paul, starts. They struggle to live as Jesus commands. We live in the already not yet. We've talked about this. We live in this tension between being set free from that jail of sin, but yet we're not perfect in our final resurrection state. But Jesus promised that when his gospel would be preached, he would be with us to the end of the age. Until the end of the age, he said he'd be with us. Yes, this is helpful for me. Because he said that to the apostles, right? But the apostles are dead. They're all in heaven. But the end of the age has not come yet. So Jesus is still with us. Jesus is still waiting for that great commission to do its work. So just a couple of takeaways. Maybe just one takeaway. 1 Peter 3, in your heart, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We may not all be called to gospel proclamation the same way. Some are full-time missionaries. Some have a more profound gift of evangelism. Maybe or maybe not, Bob. Bob, I'm not saying that's for sure you because I know you don't want that to be an excuse. 
But there might be a profound boldness in some as a special gift. Some are gifted in making money to support that work. Some are particularly gifted in praying for the lost faithfully year after year. But one thing is clear from Peter. We are all called to be ready. We are all called to be ready. We're all called by Peter here to know the gospel that saves and to be ready to share it. We're called to be ready to share. So do you know the gospel in such a way that you are ready to share it, brothers and sisters? That's the question I need to ask myself. That's the question today you need to ask yourselves. Are you ready to share this? As you walk out today, there's going to be a a huge box over there of these pamphlets. And and I just encourage you to grab one of these pamphlets. It's called Two Ways to Live. It, It has the gospel in a pretty condensed understandable. I love this. It has strengthened me just to go over this. I've gone over this with my daughter just in the last week. So I just encourage you, please don't leave here if you don't have this without picking one of these up and reading it long enough and well enough that you can share it. This week in your care groups, if you're a care group leader, if you didn't do it last week, I just appeal to you care group leaders, take your care group through this. Rehearse the gospel on each other. Take a real shot at role play. Have, have somebody play the unbeliever and someone present. And if Chris Tucker is in your small group, don't let him play either roles because you'll never finish. He'll just keep making jokes until... Just kidding. Chris, you would be awesome at this. So I think that is all the time we have this morning. And I'll have to think about whether we're going to come back to more of this next week or not. would love your counsel on that. Let's just ask the band to come up and, and we'll close in prayer.